Thank you, worship team, for that. That was wonderful. As uh, the children are dismissed here, I um, want to make you aware of a couple great ministry opportunities um, that are coming up that you have a great chance to be a part of. Uh, one is this men's study. It begins Tuesday at 7 p.m., and then also uh, the same study will be offered Saturday at 6.30. There is a sign-up um, in the lobby. Now, some of you are getting a word out because I had someone who doesn't even come to this church come up and ask me during the week, now tell me about this men's study. Uh, so that's a great idea. Invite a neighbor. Invite someone to come and sign up for one of those two opportunities. Uh, that's going to be a great blessing. Um, I also want to invite you to an opportunity we have to bless somebody in our congregation uh, who's stepping out to work with Reach Global, Ellen Gosswiller. And uh, next Sunday, we'll be having a lunch to help, help her raise some funds as she steps out in faith to serve God with Reach Global. And so uh, we hope that she'll make that a point on your calendar and, and, and prayerfully seek God to see how you might be able to bless her and help support her in that endeavor. And I'm proud of her for following God's call. And, um, and as a congregation, uh, we've been a part of, of her growth and um, encouragement she brings to us. And I trust, hopefully, we continue to bring to her. And uh, so if you'd open now into your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 23 through the end of the chapter, verse 38. Luke chapter 23, verse, um, Luke chapter 3, verse 23. Now we looked last week at John the Baptist and his ministry and how out of broken hearts he paved the way in the desert for the king to come. And now this king comes to be baptized. John's calling the people to prepare, to repent, because it tells us the obstacles aren't intellectual, but they're spiritual, they're moral. And so after we see John now, the telescope of Luke comes to Jesus and his entry point into public ministry. Let's read first of all verse 21, we'll read verse 21 through 22. Now when all the people were baptized... And when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now I want to read a parallel passage from Matthew chapter 3, which also, Matthew gives us a, a snapshot into this baptism of Jesus, and let's compare some things. Matthew 3 verse 11 John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, and his winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And verse 13 tells us, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him, but John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be done. So now, for thus it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then it says, then he consented. It kind of gives us a picture and, and asks the question, why would Jesus come to be baptized? He's the son of God. Well, when Jesus comes, John the Baptist is thinking somewhat similar. He's like, he can't believe this. 
For what would the king need to repent of? Well, nothing. That's just, that's both the mystery and the majesty of his baptism. Ken Geyer puts it this way, at, at his birth, he stepped from heaven to take on our flesh at his baptism, he steps even further into our shame. You see, the same waters the sinful crowd stepped in, it's the same water Jesus stepped in. Now, for sure, the image of the Spirit resting on Jesus probably is derived from Isaiah 11, 2, and Isaiah 42, 1. Isaiah 11, 2 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. Isaiah 42, 1, Below, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit on him. And so, that kind of gives us maybe a little glimpse of why he was baptized. But I'd like to submit just three reasons right off the top. First of all, to identify with us. You see, Luke ties Jesus' immersion. I don't know if you picked it up back in Luke 3, the first verse 21. Now when all the people, it's not there by accident, when all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. Why was Jesus baptized as the Son of God? To identify with us. So that it's clear that he submits to the same obedience required of Israel. So that, as he said in Matthew, all righteousness would be fulfilled. And so he identifies us with us. Hebrews 4.15 puts it this way. Since we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. Now you're going to want to come back next week, because we're going to talk more about that temptation. So come back. But this is an important point. Why was Jesus baptized to identify with us, but also to verify coming a time in John the Baptist's ministry, we read about a little bit later, where he began to wonder, kind of had almost, you could say, a, a moment of doubt, wondering if Jesus was indeed the Messiah. He asked some of his disciples to go back. He said, could you ask Jesus, are you the one? Are you really the one who is to come? But he would be able to look back at this baptism, and it would verify that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, I find it interesting when the heavens opened. The heavens didn't open when he was baptized. Notice it. The heavens opened when he prayed. I think that's significant because as you look through the life of Jesus, the significant moments of his life, we find him praying. Matter of fact, as you're going to find as we go through Luke, you're going to see it. And here's one of them. He's baptized and Luke wants us to know and was praying. That's when the heavens opened. That's kind of a neat thought. Our prayers matter. And Jesus modeled that for us. And then the third reason Jesus was baptized, prophecy. You see, baptism served as a prophecy that Paul spoke about that prefigured Christ's death, or his death, his burial, and his resurrection. This immersion of being in the water death and coming out of the water life prefigured the work of Christ. So in a sense, his baptism was prophetic. Now you might be looking at it and say, why, why a dove? 
I don't know. A lot of commentators disagree. Um, I've read a, a fair amount, and there's a lot of different thoughts on that. And I'm not going to go into that. Um, it's, it's difficult to discern. But what we can be sure of is Jesus' baptism communicates us to us that he identifies with us. It verifies his, he is the Messiah. And then there's prophecy that points to his work. Now we get to verse 23 through the end of the chapter. Now, let's be honest. When you get to the genealogies in the Bible, especially when you're reading through the Bible in a year, who's, who can honestly say, well, I kind of skim them? Come on. Okay, good. We got an honest conversation. God, don't worry, God's not going to strike you dead. Um, but it's true, right? And one of the reasons is Ancestry.com is running crazy because people want to know who their ancestors are. Maybe there's a prince in Morocco or something. You know, they they want to know, who are my ancestors? But someone's ancestry is only significant to one if it impacts you. So if I sat down with Bill Jarman and said, Bill, why don't you enjoy my, my ancestors? Bill would, you know, not so much. But Bill's very interested in his ancestors because it impacts him. Mine doesn't. And we're tempted to look at this genealogy of Jesus and say, this has no impact on me. We couldn't be further wrong. Matter of fact, when we discuss this here, you're going to be astounded how much it impacts you and I. I also want to remind you, all scriptures God breathed and profitable for teaching, reproof, and correction, and training, even the genealogies. And because this is scripture, I want to read it. Okay? Verse 23, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Mattathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Jonan, the son of Risa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Jorim, the son of Motath, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, and the son of Eliakim, the son of Meliah, the son of Mena, the son of Manatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salsa, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arnai, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Sarug, the son of Reuel, the son of Peleg, the son of Aber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. There you go. Yeah. I, I practiced, just so you know. I read that through quite a few times. And uh, it, what is neat about this, there's a lot of things. One is it's Jesus' entry point into his public ministry. It's why Luke puts it where it is. And after the extraordinary events surrounding his conception, his birth, Jesus had apparently lived 
for about 30 years as an ordinary anonymous person. Now Luke has no interest in the fantasies of some of the apocryphal writers who write fanciful things about his youth. He just tells us, after what we've read about in the end of chapter 2, when he was 12 years old, now we have about 18 years later, he's entering his public ministry. Luke decides to mention his genealogy right here. Now here's why I want us to understand why these are so important. The great significance. Genealogies were very important to the people of Israel. For example, ancestry determined the original division of the land of Canaan among the 12 tribes. Somebody came up and said, hey, where's my land? So first thing they'd say, what tribe are you from? Then we'll talk about what land is yours. In other words, it's your ancestry that will determine that. Ancestry also established a right of inheritance to property, and all that went with it. Crops, buildings, servants. Ancestry also formed the basis of kinsman redemption. In other words, if a poor man was forced to sell his property, one of the near relatives was to purchase it. And how would they determine that? Ancestry. Ancestry played a role in taxation. That's why Joseph and Mary had to return to Joseph's ancestral city of Bethlehem to register for the census. Ancestry determined one's eligibility to serve as a priest. Did he, could he trace it back to Aaron? And last and most important, any claim to be king or messiah would have to be backed up by the genealogical records. Because many had come along and claimed to be messiah. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're at home and someone comes and knocks on a door and say, I'd like to introduce myself to Jesus the Messiah. How would you answer? Well, the genealogy is going to give you one answer. Hey, what tribe are you from? By the way, where are you born? What's your royal lineage? Those answers would all of a sudden reduce Matter of fact, if he said, hey, I'm from Pittsburgh, he'd say pretty much, then, then get out of here, please. Because we know that the Messiah is not from Pittsburgh, okay? We know that because of the genealogy, and we know you're not from the line of David if you're from Pittsburgh. And so the genealogy helps us answer the question. Because the Messiah would have had to be backed up by genealogical records from the lineage of David. But this genealogy tells us some significant things. One is Jesus is part of history. Genealogy is rooted in a biblical account of history. If you don't believe me, every time you write a check, it attests to the fact that Jesus Christ was in history. Because you write a year, right? 2019. 2019 is measured from where? BCAD. So, Maybe you don't even realize that, but when you write a check, you're attesting to the history, historical fact of Jesus Christ. I like it, fact, every atheist, <laughs> those who sign their check, I don't know, I've got a warped sense of humor, but they don't even know what they're doing, okay? Jesus is also the fulfillment of prophecy. As part of the history, he's also the fulfillment of prophecy. So the righteous seed who would come and who would crush Satan under his feet, Genesis 3.15. And this prophecy, and all the prophecies of Jesus are 100% accurate. 100%. 
Jesus is part of history. He's, part of, he's a fulfillment of prophecy, and he has the right pedigree. He has the right lineage. Now, Luke's readers would have understood why Luke included the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Again, it was essential credential to be the Messiah, to be a descendant of David. Now, the genealogies of Matthew 1, which we read about if you were to go to Matthew, and Luke 3 prove that he was no self-appointed Messiah. He wasn't a misguided reformer who was caught up in a popular acclaim. He wasn't one who uh, began to have delusions of grandeur. Nor was he merely a good teacher of morality and ethics, or even a revolutionary who was going to overthrow Rome. His genealogies trace his ancestry back to David and Abraham, to Adam, and ultimately to God himself, that show that Jesus was Israel's rightful king. Now, there's some differences. It's weird to compare Matthew 1 and Luke 3. There's differences in the genealogies, but that's not by accident. Those marked differences communicate some very significant purposes to us. One is Matthew placed his genealogy at the beginning of his gospel, where it fits chronologically into the life of Christ. Luke, however, inserts Christ's genealogy later in the context of his messianic credentials, of his divine confirmation, of his entry into public ministry. This could be one of the evidences that Luke talked directly to Mary. That Luke had one of his witnesses that he was able to uh, get information was from Mary. We don't know that, but where he placed this is very interesting. There are also no women in Luke's genealogy. Matthew includes five. You might say, well, why is that? Well, back in this time, they often didn't have women in genealogies. They just went from the men to the next man, to the next man. But all of a sudden, they found out in some cases there might have been a man who died. <laughs> and, and then what? Then where are you to trace it? And, and so maybe Matthew uh, includes it for that reason. Luke doesn't, but it also explains something interesting. Because if you look right away in verse 23, Jesus, when he began his mystery, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed of Joseph, the son of Heli. Well, if you go to Matthew 1, you realize the father of Jacob was not Heli, or father of Joseph, it was Jacob. But here, Luke says the son of Heli. Well, what's the deal here? Two things to note on here. One is, again, this is passing along a genealogy from Luke, but the word son of can also mean ancestor. They're used interchangeably, actually. And what we have right here is he is Mary's dad. And Joseph being the one who would inherit the property, it's not by accident, Luke says, Joseph, who's the ancestor of Eli. It's not at all out of context, and it's not in any way disagreeing with what Matthew 1 says. As a matter of fact, there's another reason that's in here. Let's follow along. Luke's genealogy goes from the present to the past. In that sense, it's descending. Matthew's goes from past to present. It's ascending. Another way to put it is Matthew's begins with Abraham and moves forward in time. Luke's begins with Jesus and moves backwards in time. Now, at this point, if you're honest, you're like, so what? So what? 
while the different starting points in their genealogy reflected different purposes of the two gospel writers. Matthew wrote primarily to Jewish people. So it be, was natural then to begin with Abraham, because Abraham was the father of the nation of Israel. But Luke's approach is more universal. Remember I've mentioned the last two weeks of how Luke makes special mention of Gentiles all through the book of Luke. So we shouldn't be surprised that Luke's focus in his genealogy, or at least one of them is, is to talk about the universal impact of Jesus as Messiah, the Son of Man. His concern for and his relating to the entire human race. Therefore, he takes Christ's genealogy past Abraham all the way to Adam, the father of the human race. And so there's a different purpose Luke has, a significant one. Now, most people in this list are unknown. I read it. There's not many of us go, oh, I remember those guys. A lot of them are going, I got no clue who these guys are. That's the point. He was, he's the savior of all mankind. And all those who were unknown to our history, they were unknowingly part of this plan of salvation. Now, if we go to verse 23, we notice a very important phrase theologically. It says, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being a son, as was supposed, of Joseph. Again, the language of the scriptures are very clear. And they, they do everything they can uh, to avoid us thinking certain things. In this case, us thinking that Jesus was biologically from the line of Joseph. We know it's not true, and we're going to talk about why here in a second. Was supposed. It was commonly supposed that Jesus was the son of Joseph, understandably, since most knew him as one of the children of Joseph and Mary. But that supposition was incorrect. And he was only physically the son of Mary. That affirms the reality of the virgin birth, which Luke gives a lot of attention to. This genealogy makes it clear Joseph was not part of Luke's genealogy. And the phrase in verse 23 actually could be rendered, Jesus being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph. That's important for us to know that. So as we go through this, the language is very intentional. Now, there's a couple other things out of this that are very significant. There's, there's like four summary names that I think really sum up the person of Christ. Verse 38, the Son of God. Colossians 1 says Jesus was the firstborn over all creation. And that word firstborn in the Greek also carries this idea of first ranked. He was protakos, is what Paul's saying. He was the first ranked of all creation. He's the son of God in that sense. That he might have supremacy in all things, Luke's, or Paul said in Colossians. So he's the son of God. He's the son of Adam. He was fully human. And because of that, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one, again, who was tempted in all yet was without sin. He's the son of Abraham. Jesus is the, promise, the seed promised to the patriarch. You might want to jot down Galatians 3.16. In whom all the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant would be realized. Son of God, son of Adam, son of Abraham, and the son of David. As the son of David, 
Jesus will reign forever and ever. Revelation eleven fifteen, Luke 1, 33. And the reason Matthew's genealogy goes all the way back is it shows Jesus has legal rights to the throne of David. There's another significant reason this genealogy is here. And it answers perhaps the biggest dilemma in the Old Testament. Maybe you don't know this. In Jeremiah chapter 22, we read about a man named Jeconiah. He went by other names, Aniah being one of them. But his disobedience, his faithlessness, incurred a curse from God. And he presents us with a problem. Because God presented a curse on this faithless descendant of David. What was this curse? The curse is no child, that is, no physical descendant of Jeconiah would ever succeed sitting on the throne of David. That's the problem, because Joseph was a physical descendant of Jeconiah. And yet God cursed the line. So we have a problem Messiah can't come from a cursed line. Joseph's from the line of Jeconiah. So what do we do with that? Had Jesus been Joseph's biological son, he would have been prevented from sitting on the throne of David by this curse. However, Jesus was not conceived by Joseph, but by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Luke was very emphatic on that early chapters here. Joseph was Jesus' legal father, but not his biological father. Jesus bypassed the curse of Jeconiah and yet retained his legal rights to the throne. I think that's pretty cool. I mean, we see the curse, and and when, when Jesus comes, he's not hindered by it. And so he doesn't come biologically through the line of Joseph. As a matter of fact, the genealogy here in Luke is very specific Because the Messiah still had to have a biological tie to David because of the Old Testament prophecy specified him as a son of David. But Luke's genealogy deals with this need. And since the lineage of Jesus is traced back to David through Nathan, not through the cursed line. And so it says, Nathan, verse 31, the son of David. And that's very important. That's why some people call Matthew the lineage of Joseph and Luke 3 the lineage of Mary. And there's a reason they talk about that because really Luke 3 deals with tracing Mary back, being the physical mother of Jesus and Joseph, again, not being a biological. And so it goes through Nathan. And this point is, no matter how you trace this thing, Jesus is qualified to declare himself Israel's Messiah. And any Jew who wanted to verify the record could do so. Because God preserved Jesus' lineage. And so Jesus' legal right through Joseph, the legal son, the royal line, but the virgin birth goes through Nathan, Mary. Jesus has a legal right to the throne, unaffected. By the curse. We would not know that except for this genealogy. Now, there's something else I think is amazing to me. If we read through the Gospels, and we will, through Luke, 
we find Jesus' enemies at every turn. They're trying to constantly discredit him. Matter of fact, to the point they call him Satan or associated with Satan. I mean, at every turn. But there's one thing they never bring up. You ever notice that? His genealogy. And you can be sure they would have checked the records. You can be sure of that. I mean, think of the triumphal entry. As people are laying palm branches, if they had any evidence from the genealogical records that he was not from the Messianic line, believe me, we would have heard about it and read about it. To me, that's amazing. That means they ignored it, carefully searched it, and they came to the conclusion of what we come to the conclusion that his ancestry qualified him to be the Messiah. Now, they rejected him in a whole lot of ways, but not because of that one. And so we have a historical record of the ancestry of Jesus and how he became to reign as the king of David forever, how he was qualified to be the Messiah. And I thought about all this, this this whole text in here, and how the names sum up Jesus, and, 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 and how Mary's lineage is one way, and how Matthew talks of Joseph, and how it bypasses the curse, all these things, as genealogy tells us, and his baptism, and the significance of that. And there's some things that just settle in my mind, that kind of concluding thoughts, I guess you could say. In Jesus' baptism, he came to identify with us in our sin. I mean, let, let that sink in for a moment. He wasn't coerced to do I mean, there wasn't anything within us that demanded he do it. There was no works that we laid out that says, you got to come. He came because of the amazing love we already just sang about. I mean, Jesus came to identify with us in our sin. He who knew no sin, Paul said, became sin for us. He came to identify with us. There's another point as I look at this genealogy that tells us, history proves it, Jesus is the only one qualified to save us from our sin. He's the only one qualified. He had to be born of a woman, as predicted in Genesis 3.15. He was born of Mary. He had to become one of us to redeem us. He had to, redeem, he had to represent us in all aspects. He had to be sinless in order to perf- have the perfection God demands. And so as we read in the genealogy, curse was bypassed as God came in through Mary and yet had the legal rights. He had to be sinless in order to have the perfection God demands. He also had to be God, so it could be said God undertook the rescue mission. And it was the Lord who saved. Jesus is the only one to qualify, only qualified one to save you and I from our sin. Go search all the shelves of all the gods and all the prophets who've proclaimed the way and there's only one who rises to the top and is qualified Jesus Christ. The genealogy tells us that. Maybe you didn't see that before. And the third thing that makes me ask you a question is I read through all these names I gotta be honest, I'm not impressed by them. They're hard to read. I don't know them, so I can't really speak to their character, but there's someone here we do know, and they have something in common. 
They're sinners. Don't believe me? Judah, adultery and incest. David, adultery, murder. Abraham was a chronic liar. Terah was an idolater. They're a sinner, every single one of them. They all needed a savior. And so do you. They represent humanity. So let me ask you, have you trusted Jesus Christ as the only qualified one to save you? And I talked last week about repentance and faith, the same side, the same, different sides of the same coin. Faith is I believe in Jesus. I believe in his work on Calvary. I turn to Jesus. Repentance is I turn away from my old self. Picture. Let me ask you, have you done that? Because you're part of this genealogy in that sense as being a sinner in need of a Savior. These were not perfect people and neither are you and I. Best question you can ask yourself this morning is have I placed my faith in Jesus Christ? And have I repented of my sins? I hope that's a question you're courageous enough to ask as we bow in prayer. And so let's do that. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the word of God, which is living and active. And I believe even active in this very moment. And I pray, God, that, that you by your spirit would take your word and, and cultivate in us a deep appreciation and an adoration for why you came. And how you came to this earth to live a perfect life. And that in a sense you were born to die for our sin. And rising from the dead, we could have eternal life with you. We praise you for such a great salvation. And as we sang earlier, we praise you and thank you that we can have feet that would stand on a sure foundation, on a solid rock, that shall never fail us. So please cultivate in us a richer faith. Again, a deep appreciation and adoration. And God, I also want to pray that you would cultivate in every heart and mind in this room who's never placed their faith in you. Lord, might they come to see you as the only one qualified to save and might they see they're in desperate need of being saved. And Lord, might they receive the promise as they respond to you that those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I pray for each heart here that right now is questioning, wondering, deciding. Please bring them to the Savior. And Lord, the greatest thing that could really come, I think, of our study this morning has been the thing we've prayed about from the very beginning of our study. That we learn to see you more clearly. Lord, that we learn to hear. We learn to feel what's on your heart. And Lord, we learn to love like you love. 
And we know none of that's possible without the work of your spirit and without the power of Jesus. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.